My name's uh, Nathan Cook, and uh, we're going to be talking um, this afternoon about developing a biblical worldview for medical missions. And so if you will uh, join me uh, just in having a word of prayer uh, as we get started here. Heavenly Father, um, we give you thanks uh, for the love and grace and mercy that you show to us each and every day for giving us life and meaning and purpose. Lord, we thank you for this conference and gathering us together, Lord, to where um, we can learn about you and we can learn from one another. Lord, I pray that you would take the teachings that we gather from this conference and that you'd make them very practical and applicable to our lives. Um, Lord, that you would uh, grow um, our passion for you, our desire to abandon the things of this world to follow you wholeheartedly, um, no matter what the consequences. Lord, we pray that you would just um, give us a vision for your kingdom this afternoon. Help us to understand um, what it is that you're up to and um, how we might uh, better communicate um, your message to those that you've called us to serve. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, As I said before, my name's Nathan. Uh, I'm from Memphis. Um, I work uh, with Christ Community um, 10 or 12 years ago or so. I can't remember exactly. Uh, it's starting to get foggy. Uh, my wife and I moved into an inner city community in Memphis. And um, this, is a, this is a picture of our house uh, that uh, my wife drew for us um, when we were kind of discerning what, what is it exactly that God is calling us to do, uh, we gathered a group of people that we loved and trust to come and, and pray for us. We prayed and fasted and kind of sought God's direction for our life. And um, one of the men who was praying with us saw this vision of our house, this house, with a tree growing out of it. And from the tree, there were little homes hanging like ornaments. And from that, we've kind of taken, with a lot of other things that went on, that God was kind of calling us to, to start house churches in inner city communities that would be birthed out of this one house and would bring life to our community. And so um, my wife, many years later, just did this little drawing to kind of help us uh, to remember. So it's, it's hanging in our bedroom just to kind of help us remember the vision that God has given for our life. Um, our house churches are... Um, Sometimes very ethnically mixed and look like the community, and then uh, sometimes division pops up and Satan gets a hold of folks and it becomes very white and then becomes more ethnic again. We've had uh, a lot of red for two years. Uh, our church was bilingual. Um, all of our sermons and teachings were in English and Swahili, and then again there was division and uh, all of our refugees left. And so um, it's Heartache uh, combined with um, great, at times, great joy, like this picture captures here. Um, you know, sometimes we get really animated, and this is me, this is, this is what preaching looks like in a house church, uh, at our house church anyway. And um, with me and my, my friend, uh, Big D, sitting there. Uh, so it's kind of, uh, it's really interesting the way that God um, took kind of my life and the calling that he had given to me um, and inter- interwove it with my wife and desires that he had put in her heart from a very early age. And so my wife, uh, I, I for a long time was on this path towards uh, urban ministry. And um, my wife, he had given her a passion for the nations. And she was a part of a, um, a group in college where uh, the ministry uh, kind of initially shrank through the preaching of the gospel down to five people, like this can happen sometimes, right? And um, and then exploded and grew to 500, and um, this ministry had sent uh, 100 people to the nations to be um, long-time, uh, full-time missionaries. And so my wife really had a passion and a heart for being a part of a sending church that sent people to the nations. And as we were trying to work out, uh, you know, we were dating and getting serious about marriage, we're like, these, this to us looks like two very different things. Like, something's going to have to give here. And so, you know, we prayed about it and we said, I, I think God's given us His blessing on this. Let's just see what happens. And He's kind of taken it and molded it. And so now, 
You know, we have uh, nine house churches, or we have eight or nine, it keeps going back and forth, nine house churches, I think, now, um, and several different inner city communities that prepares and equips people to go to the nations, to unreached people groups, um, to take the gospel to where it's never been before. So this was uh, about a year and a half ago. Uh, Rick Donlin and myself and a couple of uh, medical students um, went on a mission trip to India to visit one of our doctors who was working overseas there, and we um, partnered with some Indian evangelists and would go up into the um, into the foothills of the Himalaya Mountains and uh, did a lot more evangelism than medicine, um, but had an opportunity to, to baptize several new believers. Um, here's a picture of Rick. If you've Rick's probably shown this a couple of times, but uh, had a chance to pray for those new believers. And as we were praying for them, the, the woman who's sitting there, like right underneath um, Rick's arm, started convulsing and seeing manifestations of evil spirits coming out of her. Uh, this is the best that I can describe of what happened. Um, and we asked our friend Moses there, who's one of the Indian leaders, who's like, is, is this normal? Does this happen a lot? He's like... It happens, you know, so, okay. Uh, um, but during that trip, like, we saw these guys, like, I was incredibly impressed by um, their passion for the gospel and how they selflessly and, and daily would uh, literally lay their lives down for the sake of the gospel. Um, and they had been uh, abused, mistreated by family members, um, they had been uh, persecuted in many different ways, threatened. One of the guys had a uh, had uh, some militant Hindus come and try to axe down his door while they were um, while he was in home, um, trying to get them to stop having uh, community Bible studies. And so, you know, God does something to your heart when you're in a situation like that. And so, when we came back, I was just thinking, God, what uh, what are we doing? What are we doing in our clinics? We have six clinics in Memphis. What are we doing really? Um, we have nine house churches. What are we doing to proclaim the gospel? How intentional are we being? Um, and so God was just birthing in me a heart for evangelism. And um, as we began to explore and to ask questions, um, you know, I would ask some of our providers, are you sharing the gospel with your patients? And the response was, yes, absolutely. That's something we, we believe very strongly in. And so then I asked the question, well, how, how much? How often? And I said, regularly, weekly. You know, we, I probably share the gospel two or three times a week. And so for me, like, two or three times a week, I would feel pretty good about myself, right? If every week, two or three times, I'm sharing the gospel with somebody. I feel like I'm doing what God is calling me to do. I'm being faithful. And that's what we're hearing from our doctors, but then when you realize that we're treating each doctor is treating 100 to 120 people, like what an opportunity we have that's being lost to share the gospel. The other thing that we learned from our friends in India and our friends um, who are working in Somalia is that in order to see a movement of people come to Christ, that you have to sow seeds of the gospel widely. right? And what we had been doing in Memphis was to take a handful of seeds and we keep dumping it on the same dirt over and over and saying, grow, grow, why aren't you growing? You know? But no, we had to sow seeds more widely. And so we started thinking about how, how is it that we can um, share the gospel with all of our patients? And the doctors say, no, 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 no. Like if, if I were to share the gospel with all my patients, like that takes a lot of time. Um, we're caring for the poor. We have to see you know 20 patients a day or so in order to kind of make this whole thing work because our patients don't have a lot of money. So it all is kind of like the, the Walmart economy in a sense. You have to see a lot to get a little payment for what you do uh, see in order to kind of make things work. And so we kind of moved off of that and said, well, what if we do it in terms of a partnership? Okay, so we don't want to take sharing the gospel out of the hands of you as providers. Okay, you continue to do that um, as God is leading you to do so. All right, but we also recognize that you don't have time to share it with everybody. So let's bring volunteers, let's bring pastors and people from churches, and um, we'll come and, and come alongside of you 
and try to share the gospel with as many people as we possibly can. So over the last year and a half, um, that's what we've been doing. Uh, we serve 45,000 people through our clinics, and uh, we've done a couple of, uh, uh, well, one, a little uh, case study. I shouldn't say a couple. Um, and in that case study, 97% of the people that we talked to were willing to have a conversation about their spiritual health. Okay, that's a huge number. Um, it's not what, not what we were expecting. And so um, we're not putting anybody out, right? We ask permission. Permission is granted. And uh, then, then we um, just begin to kind of do exploration. We say, how would you, you know, uh, I give a little introduction and, and talk about how at Christ Community we um, believe that we need to care for uh, the whole person, for you physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And a lot of our time is focused on, on people's physical health. Would you mind if I just ask you a couple of questions about your emotional and spiritual health? And I'll say, how are you doing emotionally? That's the first question. And sometimes we get really deep answers, and sometimes we get fine. And so we'll ask again, like, do you ever experience depression or feelings of loneliness or isolation? And then we'll ask a couple of questions about their spiritual health and say, how would you rate your spiritual health on a scale from 1 to 10? With one being you've heard of God but really aren't doing anything about it, and ten is I'm perfect like Jesus. You know, and most people say eight. You know, so hold up. <laughs> and then we'll say, well, why are you an eight? Why do you give it that rating? And what would bump you up to a nine? And so we're just engaging in spiritual conversation and looking for um, chinks in the armor, I guess, uh, to attack and uh, to, to bring out to get at the root of what's really going on in people's lives. And so here are some of the things um, that we've learned. Um, I'm just going to put on a blank screen for a minute. Um, People in Memphis have heard the phrase, Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. People in Memphis believe that that is true. Nobody that I've talked to knows what that means. Okay, and so I'll, I've gotten to the point. I've heard it so many times that I'll ask. I'll ask the question: Have you ever heard Jesus Christ on the cross for my sins? Yes. Do you believe that? Yes. What does that mean? I have no idea. What does that mean? There are gaps. There are gaps in people's theology and understanding. People in Memphis have been track bombed so many times. You know what track bombing is? When you load people up in a van and you drive through the inner city and you toss tracks out the window and say, "Give your life to Jesus. Let's say a prayer." And people will come and they'll say, yes, I believe in Jesus. Will you pray with me to receive eternal life? Yes, let's pray together. Oh, hallelujah. You get back in the van, you go home. We saved thousands of God saved hundreds of people in the inner city of Memphis. And there are literally hundreds of people in the inner city of Memphis going on. Yes, I believe Jesus Christ on the cross for my sins, but I have no idea what that means. And their lives reflect the fact that they have no idea what that means. They're huge gaps. Here's another gap. People in our clinics believe with their whole heart that Jesus, or that God is a forgiving God and that God will forgive them of their sins. That's true. But there's this huge gap that's missing. They do not understand that God is holy and God is just and God requires a payment for sin, which is the payment of death. And so people are actively living in sin, going to church regularly, and committing all kinds of sexual indiscretions. And their conscience isn't bothered by it. This happens every day. This is a very strong pattern. Another really interesting thing, uh, the question we've just kind of stumbled on uh, recently, asking this, do you know God? Yes. Do you know Jesus? Yes. Do you know the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost? Never heard of that before. I have not talked to somebody yet who's been able to tell me who, in the language of our community, the Holy Ghost is. There's only one person who's even attempted to make a response that I've talked to. said, is that what makes you dance in church? (laughs) And I told her, that's the best response I've heard so far. So, yeah, yeah, that's what makes you dance in church. Um, But there's a whole lot more. And you're missing it. You're missing it. 
This is a church culture that we're talking about. People who regularly go to church and who do not have a biblical worldview. Um, and so that's, that's what this talk is going to be about. So, so my premise here is two things. Like One, I think for us as, as medical providers, we have to have the big picture about sickness and health and disease and what is God doing and how is he using me in a ministry of healing. But second, and just as important thing, is that we have to figure out ways to communicate a biblical theology to our patients. Because, at least in Memphis, it's not happening through the churches. That the churches have failed to disciple uh, their people. There is a lady, um, a young lady, a student from uh, Samford uh, Divinity School, or Beeson Divinity School at Samford in Birmingham. And she was a native Memphian. And um, she came and did a rotation with us as a part of her schooling. Uh, and I had her going into the clinics to do this spiritual health assessments with me and had a, a chance to sit down and talk with her and kind of pick her brain on some things. And so uh, her name was Carol. And Carol grew up in Memphis. And she grew up uh, in um, several different churches and uh, kind of worked her way into leadership positions with the churches. And she saw a lot of really gross, horrible things of um, pastors uh, using their position to gain political power for themselves, um, of pastors having um, girlfriends on the side, um, and the congregations knowing about it um, and not really raising a fuss about it, Um, all kinds of things. Um, And this was normal for her. Uh, until she became a medic in the army, and she um, went off to war and uh, met a chaplain in the army who shared the gospel with her and helped her to begin to develop a biblical worldview for herself. And she started to look back on her experiences um, in Memphis. And she realized, in her words, she said, I realized I wasn't a Christian. And I realized that I didn't know a Christian. And she said, I felt in that moment that God was leading me to kind of leave my career that I had been building for myself as a medic and go back um, and teach the people that I knew the Bible. And so she came back to Memphis and started working in church and um, got a, a group of young women together. And she just began to systematically go through the Bible from creation to Resurrection, the life of the church, the consummation of the kingdom and revelation. And this is what she said. This is what, how she explained kind of the culture that she grew up in. She said, um, the, my culture in Memphis, I don't know if this is true everywhere, but in, in Memphis, in the inner seas of Memphis, she said, um, people are highly adaptable. I said, well, what do you mean by that? She said, well, when we go to church, we act like the church crowd. And when we go to the club, we act like the club crowd. And when we're in our families, we act like our families expect us to. And when we come to the clinic, we put on a face and we tell doctors what they think that they they want to hear about us. She said, we adapt to our surroundings. I said, well, that sounds like hypocrisy to me. And she said, well, sort of. the, The only difference is we don't really know that we're doing it. We're just, it's a survival instinct of taking on the personality of those of you around just in order to survive, in order to get by. And she she went on to say um, that the only thing that she's ever experienced that actually broke that and helped people to find an identity of their own was in these young women as they began to develop a biblical worldview. And their identity started to become rooted in Christ. But this is what happened to these girls, is that um, now in the churches, when they saw things that didn't line up with what they knew to be true from the Bible, they began to question it and confront it. And the pastors of those churches began to lose power. And so they would shut down the Bible study. These girls no longer felt comfortable going into the club because they felt conviction about it. 
And so they didn't fit in with their club crowd anymore. And at home, there's all kinds of craziness going on. And they didn't fit in in their homes anymore. And as I listened um, to her talk, I was like, you know, we have friends in the Muslim world working. I was like, this is exactly what it sounds like when a Muslim comes to Christ. Is that they no longer fit in their culture anymore. That they have a new identity and, and they, need, they need a new family, in a sense. And she's like, yeah, that's what happens. And I started thinking, how many, how many churches are like that? How many churches in our city are like that? And she says, I don't know one that's not like that. And so I said, Carol, you've got to come to Memphis. You've got to, you've got to help us. You've got to help us reseed the church with people who have a biblical worldview. And she said, I'm not doing that. Says I'm out of here. She said that's your job. <laughs> and she said you've got the hardest job on the planet. I'm going to pray for you. Um, but that's that's what we're dealing with. That's what we're dealing with. So let's let's develop this. Let's develop a biblical worldview. So here's the first premise: is that sickness, disease, and death are consequences of our disobedience. I think this has to be a part of your diagnosis. It at least has to be in the back of your mind. When you come in, when, when people come into you with sickness and you're looking for root causes, the ultimate root cause goes back to the fall. This is not a, a, a part of God's intention in creation with sickness and disease and death. It was a consequence of our sin. Genesis 2.15 The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The world had not known death until Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And then sin and death and disease entered into God's perfect creation. Moses tells us in Deuteronomy, if you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting, and sickness grievous and lasting. Death and sickness are curses that we live under because of our disobedience to God. Does that mean that God is mean and spiteful and smites us with sickness? No, this is God's. What God's trying to do is to turn our heart to repentance. It's the sin and disease. It, it, it leads to death. God is life. He wants us to experience abundant life, and we're going to get to that in a little while. Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Again, when you have somebody coming into your clinic, and you're treating them for, for sickness and illness, we have to know that we're just patching up a problem. That everybody who comes to our clinic is going to die unless Christ comes before that. And so we need to be, a part of what we need to be giving people, along to accompany whatever medicine we, we need, we've got to be giving them Christ. Because Christ is the only one who's going to give them life. Eternal and abundant life. And so as doctors, as physicians, we've got to be giving them the good news along with medicines and accidents. What's that? Sorry. I think I'm timed out here. Um, the really important slides are just now coming up, so I've got to get to those. Uh, hold on just a second. 
Is it not? Okay, good. Because I don't want you to miss this next slide. All right, so how does this happen? How does it happen that in a church culture, uh, our patients who are going to church all the time, they, they don't understand sin, and they don't understand the consequences of sin? How could they miss that? And I'm going to show you how they can miss it. Ready for this next slide? Do you know who that is? Uh, this is my uh, daughter's play toy, right? This is Noah's Ark. Noah and the animals. Um, and here's uh, one of her books that we got her, um, Elephant's Big Ride, right? Elephant's Big Ride and Noah's Stormy Adventure, right? Um, here's another one. Noah's crew came two by two, okay? So here are, here are stories of the life of Noah that I read to my daughter regularly, right? And look at all the smiling animals, and Noah's smiling. You know, we take these pictures and we in our in our nurseries, our churches, we paint big Noah's Ark and all the animals coming in two by two. This really isn't the picture of Noah, right? The story of Noah is literally it's it's like um it's like the Holocaust on speed, right? <laughs> it is total destruction and annihilation of the world because of, of human sinfulness. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That sentence is not in either one of those books that I just showed you. (laughs) Right? And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, for I am sorry that I have made them. We're living in a culture, the people in Memphis, uh, we're living in cultural Christianity that does not understand the holiness of God or the total depravity that we live in because of our sin. And we don't take it seriously. Your job as doctors, right, is sometimes to point out stuff that we as your patients don't really want to know. But if we really grapple with it and deal with it and start on a plan, like, that will eventually lead to health and good outcomes, right? When we started on this track of uh, sharing the gospel with our patients, You know, I was coming out of an Indian context where people had never heard of the gospel, and I was going into an American Christian context where everybody had heard, had been inoculated with a part of the gospel, but they didn't know the whole part. And what I'm realizing is maybe we don't need as many evangelists in our clinic as I thought we did. Maybe we need more prophets. Maybe we need people who are going to speak up and talk about the holiness of God and the consequences of sin. And the reason that you're sick and continually sick is because you're living in sin. And you've been born into it and it's not your fault. But that God has a solution. And it's not what's in this pill bottle. Alright, so uh, a couple of days ago, this was literally a couple of days ago, my wife found this book. And I am in love with this book. The Brick Bible, a new spin on the Old Testament. It's the Lego version of the Bible, okay? And I'm going to show you why I love this and what makes this book different from the two I showed you before. We're giving this book to my seven-year-old son for Christmas this year. So don't tell him if you see him, right? (laughs) I'm so excited. Look at this portrayal of the story of Noah. Somebody just said this is awesome. I think this is awesome too. Wait, it gets better. Look. And this is like floating in the water. And this is when they're all dead under the sea. Okay? Would you have the guts to give this to a seven-year-old? Now look, this next one is my favorite one. It's Noah and his family and the animals coming off the ark. That's insane, isn't it? <laughs> That's what it was like. That's what Noah got off the ark to. Bloated dead bodies. The consequence of our sin. 
the consequence of us only continually having wicked thoughts before a holy God. Why is this important to teach to a seven-year-old? My son needs to know the consequences of sin so that he might receive the good news of Christ, so that the crucifixion and resurrection make sense to him. Of why must we have one to atone for our death? To understand that the punishment of sin is death. And that the Messiah took upon himself the death that we, we justly deserve. This is what we deserve. Premise number two. Good health, abundant and eternal life was the intent of God's creation. And he is bringing his intent to fruition through his messianic kingdom. His plan and purpose was from the very beginning. Let's look at this verse that we looked at a minute ago. Let's look at it a little bit differently. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's a part of the story that we miss. God wants us to enjoy his creation. He wants us to enjoy life. He said, eat of all of it, including what was the other special tree in the garden, including the tree of life was available to us. Take, eat, enjoy. Enjoy my creation. God intended for his creation to enjoy the abundant life. So I want to look at a couple of things that are um, going to help to, to make a correction and to help us to kind of live out um, the messianic kingdom of health and healing that God intends for us. And so we're going to look at it a couple ways. Um, the first one is... Um, I want us to kind of grapple with this understanding of dominion and the first uh, command that God gave to us. Um, God said, uh, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Fill the earth and subdue it. God shares his creation with him. He wants us to participate with him uh, in his creation by just as God, or not just as, in a similar fashion to God taking chaos and ordering it. That we are to go into his creation and to bring order, to bring civilization to the chaos that we see. Okay, and... I think that as a church in America, when we see areas of spiritual darkness, instead of running to it and bringing order to it, we run from it. All right, and um, and we don't. In, in doing so, we don't take this command to take dominion seriously. But there's somebody who does. There's somebody who takes this command very seriously, and it's Satan. So when we abandon our post, darkness fills it. This is one of my favorite pictures. It's um, uh, a picture of the suffering and temptation of St. Anthony and, um, by, by Gruenwald. And uh, it's a picture of um, uh, St. Anthony was known for... Uh, well, hold on. Let me back up a little bit. There was a, a, a monastic group that uh, the Order of St. Anthony um, that decided that they were going to care for people. I can't remember the type of disease. Um, but it was this, this horrific disease that caused bloating of the body. If you look at the picture down in the bottom uh, left-hand corner of that man that's bloated and he has kind of pot marks all over his body, this was a disease that came from eating uh, food, bread, um, that was, had a bacteria that was growing. I think it was a bacteria. And nobody knew that that's what the cause was. But it mainly affected the poor. And this religious order, the Order of St. Anthony, would go and live among 
people who had this disease. And the disease was horrible. It caused people eventually to, to be paralyzed, um, for gangrene to set in. They would lose uh, arms and limbs. And this picture was to help um, the people in these communities who were suffering to identify. There's a picture of, I don't have this one in there, I should have put it in there. But there's a picture of, of Christ, uh, this crucifixion of Christ, and his body looks the same as this man. And it's the picture that Christ identifies with us in our suffering. Um, but not only Christ, the church is to come to live among those that the world has abandoned. And to share the love of Christ with those who are suffering. To enter into areas of spiritual darkness. Um, to bring healing and to point us forward to the coming of the kingdom of God. Where all suffering is going to come to an end. In a small way, in Memphis, uh, we see um, how Satan likes to come in and to, to, to kind of take dominion, right? Um, so this is a house uh, that's right behind Rick Donlin's house. And uh, a friend of mine and I were looking into it to, to potentially purchasing it. And uh, we went around to the side of this house, and um, the door had been, had been boarded up and knocked over. And uh, people had been um, going into the room. I don't have more pictures than this, but uh, they kind of wrecked the house. And scattered throughout the house, uh, there were these Polaroid pictures of naked men. And people had been, and they were used condoms. And people had been coming into this house to have sexual affairs with one another. You might want to check into that, Rick. <laughs> so we want, we want to get this house. I want to get this house even more now than I did before. To take dominion back and say, guys, you can't, Satan, you can't have this. And we've got people in our church that so this is what we're doing. We're moving into inner city communities. Josh and Jane, I don't know, is this the house you're in now? No. Is this just a picture on the porch? Don't, shh, don't tell, don't tell. But we've got people, we've got people who are doing this, who are, taking abandoned homes and fixing them up and moving into them and taking dominion and restoring health to a community. So think of that story I just told you about people moving us. One of the communities that we work in, 25% of the homes in this neighborhood are abandoned. So take the story that I told you of People going in and having these sexual affairs with them and multiply it and multiply it and multiply it. These abandoned places become um, filled with drug users, drug seekers, all kinds of problems. And what happens is the people in the church see what's going on and they say, this isn't safe for my kids. We've got to get out to the suburbs. And we don't take dominion. But Satan does. If we're going to restore health to our communities, a part of our a part of what we have to do is to go into places of, of, of spiritual darkness and be the light of the gospel. And sometimes that means uh, taking a crack house, buying it, fixing it up, and living there. Fortunately, it's not all up to us taking dominion, right? We can't do it by ourselves. It's not God's intent. God's intent was to give us a Messiah. And this is a conversation between the Father and His Son. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you, my Son Jesus, as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. This is the promise of what God has done and is doing through His Son, Jesus Christ. God sent His Son not only to suffer and to die for our sins, but to bring healing to the blind. You know, other passages in Isaiah say that when the Messiah comes, that the lame will walk and the deaf will hear, the blind will see. Jesus ushers in this kingdom of restoration. 
another, I wish we had more time to go into this in more detail, but one of my favorite passages, take notes of this, okay, this is just a part of it, but read all of Ezekiel 34 when you have time sometime. Because um, the beginning of that passage talks about the prophet is speaking to the shepherds of Israel, the religious leaders of Israel, and he tells them, you have neglected the poor among you. And in fact, not only have you neglected them, but you're fleecing them. You're taking advantage of them for your own gain. And then this is part of what he says. I think it's, it's either in verse 4, four or 5. He says, um, he says, you have failed to provide healing to them. And then he says, my judgment is against you. I myself, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And the fulfillment of that is in John 10. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. God incarnate. God became a man and fulfilled his promise to seek out those that were lost, to die for them so that they might have life. And here is God's great promise. This is what we have to be delivering to our patients. This is the promise we have. If you're looking for healing, look to this. John 11.25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. If you want to package up in a pillbox and give them, give them this. This is what people need to hear. This is God's promise of restoration. The promise of the resurrection. And we've got to wait on it, folks. It's coming. This is real. This is not a metaphor of some... This is real. Taking a dead body and making it alive forever. That's that's God's great promise to us. That's the promise of healing that is yet to come. But it's promised to us now for all who believe. God not only does this, but He also heals people in other ways. In Matthew 9, again, write it down, the whole chapter, read it. Okay, If you want to get a great picture of Jesus' ministry of healing, that chapter lays it out. And, so, and it's really cool the way it's laid out because Jesus performs miracles, he, he uh, casts out demons, he makes a, a man who is um, uh, mute speak. Uh, he raises a girl from the dead. He heals the woman with ble- bleeding problem. And mixed into all that, you have um, him calling, uh, calling Matthew to become his disciple. And the Pharisees say, "Why are you? You know, Matthew was a tax collector. Why are you spending time with tax collectors and, and sinners?" And Jesus said, "It's not um, those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I came to call and to seek out." those who are sinful and who are lost. And then, at the end of that passage of Matthew chapter 9, he invites his disciples to participate in this ministry of healing. He said, and so this is is at the end of Matthew 9, Jesus went throughout all the cities proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Let me stop there just for a moment. Our church is a part of a, of a denomination um, that sends people to unreached people groups. And um, I really like this sending agency. Okay? They're, they're really good. Um, but one of the things that really kind of bugs me is they have this vocabulary, this way of talking about um, having platforms for ministry. Okay, and so they'll talk about uh, the main thing is to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have platforms that gain access into the country. Okay, so we might have a business platform here and a healthcare platform here and uh, whatever, youth ministry, youth soccer platform here. And if the government comes in and shuts down the platform, it doesn't really matter, right? What matters is the evangelism. And so platforms are interchangeable. The only problem with that that I have is that healthcare cannot be treated as a platform. Because Jesus did these two things. He healed the sick and that pointed people to the promises of God. The promise of the Messiah. The Messiah was the one who is to come and to, to heal the blind and to heal the lame. 
And so we can't treat that as a platform that can just be discarded. That was Jesus' ministry. And Jesus also preached a message of repentance and preached a message that, that through people believing in him, I am the resurrection and life. You who believes in me shall not perish and have eternal life. Both are important. It's not one over the other. Both. And as physicians and nurses, like you guys are in an incredible place to, to follow Christ and do what Christ did. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. And he called to him his 12 disciples, and then get this, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Jesus has called us to participate with him in this ministry of healing. We can play an active role in it. He's invited us into it and he's given us authority to do it. This began with the disciples and it continues through the life of the church. When Paul in in Corinthians is talking to the Corinthians about spiritual gifts, one of the spiritual gifts he names is the gift of healing. When, when I've, talk, I've talked to several hundred students now that come through Memphis, and what I see uh, repeatedly is that people who are called into this kind of ministry, there are three gifts pr- predominantly that I see emerging. One is a gift of mercy, one is a gift of healing, and one is a gift of prophecy, of being prophetic, living lives, prophetic lives among the poor, of pointing others towards, re- reminding them of what the prophet said to care for the poor who are among us. I see it over and over and over again. This is not this ministry of healing is not something that I mean you might not believe this is what I believe is that it, it didn't die with the apostles. The church is still in a place of pointing people forward to the coming of the messianic kingdom and a part of that is healing. Part of that's healing using scientific methods, a part of it's miraculous healing. And if you don't believe that, don't tell the people in India who are experiencing it regularly because they don't know. Right, because they're being healed regularly as a sign that, that Jesus is alive. He's inviting you. He's inviting you to participate with him in the ministry of healing. The grand finale is this. It's how the Bible ends. It shows us that God's intent was for health and healing and restoration. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river was the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. The curse has been broken. Jesus became the curse breaker and took the curse upon himself. And now this is the promise that the curse is finally and forever broken. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. God's great promise is that we will live him, we will live with him in our resurrected bodies forever and ever and ever. We will be in his presence. We will be healed fully. We will be restored to God's intent. It's a promise for us as followers of Jesus Christ, as servants to the King. So our response to this message is three things. One, if you're not doing so now, take dominion. You don't have to go to Afghanistan to do this. There are places of spiritual darkness in your own city. It may require that you sell your house and move, but take dominion. Secondly, preach the full gospel. If you have, if you, if you have a, a, a Christian clinic and you're passing out tracts, I'm not saying to stop do, doing that, but just know from our experiences that things might not be properly interpreted. And passing out tracts is not, like, what we really need is discipleship. 
We need to get into the lives of our patients somehow and, and begin to build out a biblical worldview. Because that's what's going to change, bring change and transformation. People need to know that the Holy Spirit um, brings life. The Holy Spirit is the one that helps us to overcome sin and temptation. Our, our patients don't know that. They don't understand that. They don't know the power of the Spirit that God has given. They don't know the Spirit is the one that gives us full and abundant life. Helps us to experience joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. Those aren't things that we just shoot after and try to obtain on our own. That comes from the Holy Spirit dwelling within us and giving to us joy. And if our patients don't know that, then they're not experiencing the abundant life that God had promised them. Give it to them as their provider. Help them to understand how to experience the joyful and abundant life. And then the last thing is to heal the sick in the name of Christ. He is continuing. He continues. Christ continues His ministry of healing to this day. And He's inviting you as nurses and doctors, as pharmacists, to join with Him. But look, you're going to have to abandon the sign, in a sense, the, the worldview that um, has been pushed upon you by uh, higher institutions. And you have to embrace the biblical worldview that God has given you. To understand that you are agents of His grace in a ministry of healing. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for the men and women um, who you've gathered together at this conference. thank you that you have given them life and that you've called to them to take up their cross daily and to follow you. Lord, and as we follow you together, um, we know that the world is not going to like what we have to say. That the world is rebelling against the message of the gospel. The world is rebelling against Jesus as King. And Lord, that's the message that we have is that our Father has provided with us with a Messiah. He's provided us with a King for a kingdom. And Lord, we pray that first and foremost that you would rule over our hearts. Lord, that you would convict us of our sin. <coughs> Lord, that you'd help us to let go of it and to cling tightly to the Spirit, your Spirit that lives within us. Help us to submit to you so that you might lead us into all righteousness, so that you might lead us into the healing that we need. And Lord, that you would empower us to give healing to others. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you all.